Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. This episode of Shameless is brought to you by What's Mine, the digital loyalty wallet making it easier to save than ever before. It wasn't just a trivial thing like, oh, I really like the dresses or, oh, I oh, I really want my hair to be long. It was something deep inside me going, this is, this is actually who I am. It's not just a form of expression. It's identity. It's my identity. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. On today's In Conversation episode, we are joined by the electric Georgie Stone. For those unacquainted, Georgie is a 19-year-old actress and trans rights activist who just a few days ago was the youngest recipient of an Order of Australia medal for her work with young transgender Australians. Here we talk about growing up in a body that doesn't reflect how you feel inside, how you tell the people you love that you're transgender and how to get what you want in life. Here's Georgie. Georgie Stone, welcome to Shameless In Conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. I don't think we can talk about anything else before we address the fact that you received an Order of Australia medal yeah. last week. Yeah. What the fuck? Georgie, you're not, you're not even 20. No. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. Well, you, you must know how it happened. And I think we'll get into why it all happened when we interview and get your story. But first and foremost, how does that feel? Like, do you even feel much because you're so like overwhelmed with shock that something that big can happen that young? Yeah, I do feel quite overwhelmed about it all. I, I just, I mean, yeah, I haven't turned 20 yet. So this is just like a lot to take in. But I'm really, really proud of my mum. She's received an Order of Australia as yeah. well. And I'm so proud of her because she's just worked so hard and she's just done so much and she's been an incredible ally to me. So I just feel really, really happy that she's being acknowledged as well. Absolutely. And you're the youngest recipient in this batch. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. I said to you just as we were off mic before that you should surely have no issues ever 
ever applying for a job for the rest of your life at your age? Because the top of your resume literally says Georgie Stone OAM. Well, I, I hope so. I mean, I'd, I'd love I'd love for that to help in some way. Before Neighbours, I was trying to get a job at Hoyt. In fact, I was just trying to get any kind of part-time job. And I wasn't even getting interviews for anything. It was <laughs> just, it was so hard. Yeah, Hoyt's nowhere. I wasn't getting any interviews. Something tells me like village cinemas or Hoyt's would be like privileged to have you. I, I mean, I hope so once Neighbours ends. You know, I just love a job, please. <laughs> She's putting out the plea for employment for future. Georgie, let's jump into the interview because I'm sure so many people want to hear the story behind why you've just been awarded such a massive thing. So let's start where we always do, which is to say, what are you reading, watching or listening to at the moment that you would recommend to other people? I just, finished reading Little Women by Louise May Olcott and I I was reading that because I always knew it was something that I should read because so many people have read and told me that it's incredible but I knew the movie the new movie was coming out so I really really wanted to read the book before I watched the movie and so over the holidays I read it and it's just blown away by the book really absolutely loved it yeah I haven't read it so what makes it so brilliant it's it's quite simple. It's really about these four sisters, these young girls who have all these dreams and their aspirations, but they're very restricted in the kind of time and place that they were born in the 19th century and a lower middle class, class background. And it's just how the book focuses on just the ambitions of these young girls, which often isn't looked at especially in period books it's often about romance and and about you know high society but it's just it's simplicity and how invested you get in these young girls lives was just really really exciting Mm. and really interesting and then reading that and then watching the movie and how the director Greta Gerwig has kind of looked at it from a modern perspective Mm. it, it was just really really interesting did you love the movie absolutely Loved it. Isn't it just beautiful to watch as well? I saw it last week. And A, I love all the actresses, which somehow yeah. always helps. I don't know if it should, but it, it does. Like it you're really Emma does. Watson's. Oh and my God. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it is an incredible story, you say. Like it's so, so simple. And I think the fact that it was written so long ago is still such an incredible thing to consider. Yeah, absolutely. Do you listen or watch to things much? I know, you, I mean, acting in Neighbours, do you tend to like gravitate towards more film and TV shows? Yes, I do. In recent years, I've definitely been more invested in movies and TV shows. But when I was younger, I was an avid reader. So, and I do want to get back to that because I feel like I've kind of fallen out of that habit of always having something to read. It's easy to fall out of love with reading, but as soon as you rediscover it, it's like, oh my God, I've missed out on this entire other universe of yeah. life. Like it feels like you're tapping into another realm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it was really, it was really fun to let yourself fall back into it. And because over the holidays, I didn't have any distractions. So it was quite, I found it quite easy to just fall back into that world. And I couldn't put it down. I'd read for like hours every day. It's yeah, it's just a wonderful feeling when you get invested in a book. Absolutely. Georgie, Take us right back to the beginning. What were you like as a child? I've listened to a few interviews with you and it's pretty apparent that your life took a turn at the age of two and a half. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I was assigned male at birth. I've got a twin brother and and we were both assigned male at birth. But from the very beginning, I knew that I was a girl. That was just something inherent inside me. And so I was two and a half when I first told my mum that I was actually a girl and there was some kind of mistake here. But I was I was always a very creative 
child. I loved I loved being the center of attention. My brother and I we would we would um, make these home videos when we were really young and make these home movies. And we always loved creating stories together and playing and being imaginative. So that was really a big part of childhood. It was it was creating characters and and putting putting ourselves in other worlds and. So how I started to express myself was really through these female characters I really loved. Like I was absolutely obsessed with Hermione Granger. Like absolutely oh God, weren't obsessed. weren't we all? I, I mean, my God, at school I would, when someone said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'd just say Hermione Granger. I'm not kidding. I don't even think I've told you this before, Zara. I convinced myself in year three that Hermione Granger was coming to my birthday party. <laughs> I have no idea why. I developed like an obsession with her. And then all of a sudden came out to mum one day and I'm like, Hermione's coming. And she's like, hang on. What? Like you're in year three. How do you think this girl is coming to your birthday party? And I will never forget the devastation I felt when I realised she's fictional and she's definitely not coming to my birthday. When I was around that age, I was trying to convince my mum to let me dye my hair brown. And I had like very, very blonde hair. And I'm like, I need I need to curl my hair. I need it to be brown. I, need, I'm, I am Hermione Granger. Mm. I was just absolutely obsessed with it. Take us back to that time because I can imagine – as a really young child, it could be quite confusing to feel like your body doesn't match up with how you feel inside. What kind of environment were you in? Did you always feel like you could talk about these things with your parents? Was it something that you ever had to keep secret or hide from the people around you, like when you were a really young kid? Yeah, yeah. So I was always quite aware of the places that I was safe and the places where I wasn't or didn't feel safe. So at home was always a safe place for me. So in front of my parents, I had no fear to, to be who I was in our dress up box. I'd always put on the dresses and play those characters. And my parents were always supportive of me to be able to play and express myself in that way when I was very young. However, I have a distinct memory at kindergarten when I was five, really, really, really wanting to go to the dress up box but being too scared because someone had told me that's for the girls. And so I knew, okay, so the outside world, I can't do that, but at home I can. So I always, home was always like the safe zone for me. What are the earliest memories that you have from two and a half to maybe five or six of knowing that you were in the wrong body? And are they your memories or do you feel like sometimes you it's almost a hindsight thing, like you have a conversation with your mum and you sort of like recreate those memories? Yeah, it's some of them are, are my memories and some of them are kind of based off what mum has told me that she remembers. One of my earliest memories is watching Cinderella, the the Disney animated Cinderella and seeing the fairy godmother turn Cinderella dress her rags into this beautiful ball gown and I was going that's me <laughs> that is me and it wasn't so much a feeling that I was born in the wrong body I ne- I didn't really have a problem with my body at that young age it was more of like a positive feeling like mm. seeing something like the dresses or the characters that I really loved and going that's me as opposed to looking at myself and going this isn't right right yeah, yeah. and it was only when I got a bit older at six or seven when I started feeling more negative about myself and that was more because other people were telling me that I was wrong um, and that's when those kind of 
other people's understanding of what I was going through kind of seeped into how I was understanding myself. What started as a positive feeling started turning into like an, a negative thing. That's a really interesting idea, the idea of people telling you that you're wrong. And I want to explore that for a second because I have no doubt this episode will be listened to by tens of thousands of people. And just by numbers and facts, some of those people will think, oh, well, kids just go through phases. How can you ever know? Kids will say the most random things. Why should we trust them? Can you talk to those listeners specifically just for a second? To those people who say, well, kids go through phases. How does Georgie know it wasn't just a phase? What's your response to that? Well, firstly, yeah, absolutely. Kids do go through phases and some kids like to express themselves in specific ways when they were younger and then they just kind of grow out of that or that turns into something different. So, for example, my mum thought that I was just a very flamboyant gay man (laughs) (laughs) and she thought, oh, you know, that's okay, that's fine. But with me, it was this feeling, it wasn't just a trivial thing like oh I really like the dresses or oh I oh I really want my hair to be long it was something deep inside me going this is this is actually who I am it's not just a form of expression it's identity it's my identity and that you know a two and a half three-year-old can feel that so strongly that's something at least to take notice of and then the second part to that is just the persistence and consistence I suppose throughout the years that has never wavered I've always known that I was a girl and that hasn't changed so that's you know a surefire way to know that's not a phase (laughs) when it just keeps going it just never stops how are your family about it how are your parents how was your twin brother when you were consistently telling them like that Cinderella is me Mm. my my brother was the first person to go this is Georgie and you guys need to, you know, take notice and and start taking action. He was, he was, yeah, quite young. He, I mean, we were so close. He knew that this was who I was. How old was he when he was saying that? Oh, I'm not sure. I think around five, six. Wow. Yeah, yeah. At one point, I think he said... I know that I don't have a brother, but I don't want things to change. And then, you know, I said, but things aren't going to change. You know, I've always been a girl, but we're always going to have the same relationship and we're always going to play and make movies and stuff. And then after that, he was like the pronoun police. He was my fiercest advocate. Really? Yeah, yeah. He, he was really amazing. And my mum mum took notice from the very beginning and never kind of – really shrugged it off but she just was kind of waiting until she knew for sure that this was something more serious yeah and it was I think it was when I started primary school when she was like okay this is you know not gonna change yeah yeah and that was when she started to see how distressed I was getting at school and and also she was the one who I would go to to, to talk about what I was feeling and going through. I really, really trusted her and she always listened, mm. which was really important. And my dad, he he was always okay in letting me, you know, dress up at, at home and stuff, but he took quite a bit longer to get on board. He, I mean, he always wanted to protect me. That was his main focus. He wanted to protect me, but he thought to protect me, he needed to prevent me from 
affirming who I was. He he thought that he needed to continue to to remind me that I was a boy, that boys are like this and mm. this is how you have to be. And it wasn't until I was seven or eight until he realised that the best way to protect me is to actually let me be who I was. And then once he did realise that, he was on board. and Yeah, he bought me my first dress, actually. Did he? Yeah. What was it like? Do you remember? I, I mean, I loved it. I <laughs> never got out of that dress. Describe it to us. It was a white dress with with kind of green flowers going going Ooh, up jazzy it quite big. yeah and it went past <laughs> my knees and it when I twirled it twirled with me and what did you oh, feel like obsessed. when you put that on for the very first time I felt I felt really comfortable I felt like this is this it made me happy mm. and it didn't it, it didn't make me uh you know more of a girl because I always was but it just made me feel more myself I suppose. Did it make it feel extra special that it came from your dad when your dad was probably the most reluctant to accept what was happening? Yeah absolutely I mean mum and dad tried to shield me from the from the I suppose dispute that was happening between Mm. them and so I always thought that they were both you know on board and it was only later in my teen years when I kind of found out that it took dad a bit longer but I mean it it meant a lot to me that it came from dad. And in hindsight now, knowing that he went out and bought my first dress was really, was really lovely. What I found incredibly interesting when I was doing all of my reading and research and, and listening to interviews with you and your mum too, was at the age of 10, you were the youngest person to receive hormone blockers in Australia, which eventually changed the law, mm. meaning that transgender children and their families had to, uh, like you used to have to apply to the family court in order to get them to confirm that, right? Yeah. I wonder, I'm so, so interested. It's one thing for a family to say, Georgia, you be whoever you want to be. We're going to support you through that. It's another thing entirely for your family to say, we're going to campaign about this. We're going to be activists as well. Do you remember much from that time and and how much your family did to change that law? Yes and no. Again, my parents tried to shield me from a lot of the really difficult things that were happening. But I did, I was aware that my mum especially was campaigning to change this law for other trans young people. And that made me feel really, really happy. And I mean, she's, she's just been an incredible advocate for years. I mean, for my whole life, really. And, and around that time, mum launched the first peer-led support group for families of trans young people in Australia and that was in 2012 and that was amazing because through Transcend she was able to connect me with other trans young people and connect parents with other parents of trans young people and that was that was just amazing and it felt wonderful knowing that my mum was doing that for other people. And, yeah, so when we were able to change the law partially in 2013, it was it was wonderful. You just touched on that concept of connection and how important that must be. I can't even imagine when you're in those very early stages of transitioning. I want to talk to you for a bit about school. What are your mm. memories of school? Because I imagine it was both isolating and lonely at times. Yeah, absolutely. Early primary school was really difficult. So at my first primary school, I wasn't allowed to use the female uniform. I had to use the male bathroom. And that was the school telling you, no, you have to dress like a boy. Yeah. So that was not fun. 
and it came to a head. Well, firstly, at around the age of eight, I refused to use the male bathrooms anymore. I couldn't. It was just too scary for me and it also put me at risk because there were some bullies who who were really horrible to me when I when I was telling people that I'm, you know, I'm actually a girl. So they still wouldn't let me use the female bathroom even though I was at risk. So instead they made me use the disabled toilets, which was very confusing for a young 8-year-old mind. You're thinking is there, you know, is is there something wrong with me again and not saying that if if you have a disability there is something wrong with you but it was just well, it's it another process been, of other it's also yeah, hard it's to a, know where you fit yeah absolutely and they also never unlocked the disabled toilets as well so I actually couldn't go to the toilet when I was at school at all and it was horrible it was and it was really you know embarrassing to have to go to the to, to the front office to ask for the keys for the disabled toilets and then they didn't talk to the staff you know really about it they didn't address it with them so then they were going why aren't you using the male toilets I'm like I don't want to have to explain this over and over and over again it was just really horrible and then when I was nine at school swimming I again refused to use the the um the male toilets and this was outside of school we were at a public pool and they didn't have a, a disabled toilet at all they wouldn't let me use the female change rooms even though my mum said that she would come in with me there weren't there wasn't a family change room at that point either so I had to use the male change rooms and what they didn't tell me and my mum is that they had the grade five boys in there the, the older kids and the older kids were the ones responsible for bullying me so it was just a really really horrible experience to have to to go in there and get changed especially as at that point I was wearing female bo- bathers and had grown my hair longer and was presenting as female it was just it was just really horrible and that memory has stayed with me for the rest of my life and for it took a long time for me to unlearn the the kind of shame that I felt from that moment that I had carried with me for years after it's taken a long time to to stop feeling like I was the problem, which is what I felt when in that moment because the school said that I was bringing this on myself and I was making it difficult for other people. Mm. So, yeah, that was horrible. Thinking back to little Georgie who knew who she was so resolutely and just would not bend to people telling you to go to a bathroom where you didn't feel like you belonged, where does that courage come from? Because that sounds like a really courageous little girl. It, it was really a matter of... I had no choice. I had to stand up for myself because otherwise I'm going to be miserable. It it was really just a matter of necessity. And I think that's the case for a lot of trans people. We don't fight because we want to. We fight because we have to for our own well-being. And I think it also comes from the strength and support of my mum. She's a really big part in giving me the the courage to to stand up and and be vocal and fight for my own rights because she she believes in me and she gives me that strength and I always know that I have her to to fall back on and to support me and to catch me when I fall and if I didn't have that I think I'd feel a lot more scared and weaker 
Coming up on the show, how Georgie got her shot at a gig on Neighbours. But first, a word from today's wonderful sponsor. Talk us through being 14 and deciding to come out to your friends at school. That that was interesting. So I, I my mum and I were featured in a Four Corners um, episode called Being Me, talking about the court process and everything, but we were in disguise. We had these really horrible prosthetics on. They kept falling off throughout the day. It, was, it looked really bad. What but, prosthetics? I'm um, so curious about this because I've heard you say this in other interviews. I'm like, what disguises? Someone yeah. please explain <laughs> to me. I'm imagining the ones from the $2 shop where they have like the moustache <laughs> and the glasses. Yes. So you disguised yourself so that people we at school to, wouldn't notice you? Well, or? we actually had to because the the court – it's all anonymized okay. the court process so we actually legally weren't allowed to to be Who visible you are. yeah, yeah. Right. and so when we were asked to talk about our experience in the court process firstly you know we were private and we wouldn't want to reveal ourselves but also we couldn't reveal ourselves anyway so we we had these prosthetics on our face so I had like a different nose and a different chin I had a wig and mum had the same thing and it was oh it was horrible it looked really not good and also my nose started falling off as the day went on (laughs) so I had to go back into the bathroom and have it reapplied it was it was really bad and yeah, and I remember they made mum and I go into a shop and like pretend to shop around for things because, of course, that's what all oh, yes. mothers and daughters do. Um, Just bonding over shopping. Shop, and the shop assistant was kind of looking at us closely because she could see like the nose coming <laughs> off. It was really. What would be going through that person's head? She'd be like, what I the fuck know. is and Why are there cameras following yeah. around? Of course. It was, it was one of the most awkward things. But anyway, one of my friends recognised me from the show and recognised my house and everything and and I hadn't told anyone that I was trans. So she was like, was, was that you? Are, are you trans? And I was like, shit. Uh, no, no, that, was, that wasn't me. And But she absolutely knew it was me. And this friend, I knew I didn't completely feel like my secret was safe with her. So I thought better it comes from me than her so and I felt really bad because I didn't feel ready to to come out but I knew that I should because otherwise I just wouldn't feel safe so I sat a few of my friends down at lunchtime and I was so scared but then I told I told them that I was that I was trans and it was it was incredible they were so great they were so so great. They they asked brilliant questions. They listened. They didn't push for you know intimate details. Oh, actually, one of them asked a pretty weird question, which was, "Does your brother have a vagina?" Which Ooh. was wrong. <laughs> I found it funny then, but now looking back, I'm like, that's a really bad question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure you've gotten plenty in your time where you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, no, I have had pretty weird questions. But besides that, they were all wonderful. They were really great. And that was when I realised for the first time, oh, I don't have to hide anymore because the last interactions I'd had with people who knew that I was trans were from my first primary school and that was, you know, bullying and and really weird looks and, and being misgendered and everything. But this was the first time where I realised oh we've society has actually progressed and maybe it won't 
be like that again if I if I come out. And so then I told them, you know, don't feel like you have to keep this private. I don't care who knows now. I'm just going to come out completely. And so then slowly other people started to find out and it was great. It was everyone was really lovely and nothing changed. The only thing that changed was I felt a weight lift from my shoulders and I started not feeling ashamed of myself anymore, which was great. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was wonderful. So you're 14, you've been going through blockers for a while. When did hormones start and what kind of transition, what does that process look like for those people who might have no idea? So we had to go to court again because when Hooray. we changed the law, yeah, it was only for stage one, not stage two, which is um, gender affirming hormones. So yeah, we had to go back to court, which is always fun, not. And and that was really horrible process because now that I was nearing the age of 15, I was much more aware of what was going on. But in about July 2015, so after I turned 15, court granted me permission to begin stage two and and that, w- that was really good and they're, you know, just little tablets that you take every day and, and then it's female puberty. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about your relationship with Harry, your twin brother, because I know you touched on him earlier in our chat, but I wanted to bring it back to him because it's just the two of you as siblings. Is that right? Mm, yeah. And you said you are incredibly close. You're born twins. Like you must be close. Talk about your relationship and how much he means to you and how much he has meant to you through, you know, the last 20 years. Harry's Harry's incredible. Yeah, we have always been very close. And I mean, he's just been a constant throughout my life. We, we've been to the same schools the whole time so he's always been there to stand up for me I've always been there to stand up for him because I mean he's had his own things happening and I think that's a big misconception that all of Harry's problems are kind of linked to me being trans but that's not the case at all he's had his own things going on so we've just always been there to support each other and now in our later teen years I think we've gotten even closer because our interests have kind of converged Harry loves acting as well but he's a writer so he wrote the school productions in our last few years at school and it's just been incredible to see him come into his own you guys could write the movie write and star in movings again after all these years later, I come full circle. Wonderful. That would be absolutely wonderful. And I told him this is great because you can write the the movies and the and the TV shows and then I can be in it. I'll be the star. Isn't like, your mum? Mm, well, not all the time, but maybe sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Isn't your mum from an acting background as well? Wasn't she in theatre? Yeah, and my dad. Wow. Yeah. So you're like you guys could just have your own little touring show. See, I would love that. And mum and dad have actually said to Harry, you know, put us in put us in your work. Like, <laughs> not all the time, but some of the time. But yeah, we definitely get our creative interests from them. We grew up in the theatre world and you know, watching them on stage is always really incredible and yeah. Yeah, it's really good. When it comes to Harry, I think one of the things that I I also wanted to ask you was, are you quite conscious or are you conscious at all or aware as you grow up 
of the attention that you demand from your parents in comparison to your sibling because I think that most families would feel that despite what's going on. There's always a child that sort of consumes more time and energy. Were you aware of that? Because I know in Four Corners he spoke a little bit about that, about how sometimes he felt, what was it on the outer? Am I putting words in his mouth? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And there's this there's this video which I really dislike of us at maybe four or five and they we mum and dad drags this mattress out into the hallway for Harry and I to bounce on and Harry is about to do this really cool trick but then just as he's about to do it I jump in front of the camera and go look at me look at me and he missed the trick and I just I hate that video because it just showed how much I kind of demanded attention I suppose but I mean it was it wasn't like I was a complete attention hog but I was definitely the louder more confident sibling and Harry was more the quiet gentle one but but yeah but then that's that's kind of it'll ebb and flow over time yeah yeah and I mean there definitely was a period of time during court the court process early on where Harry felt like so much of mum and dad's attention were on me and that that is true to an extent absolutely but I mean, there are there are definitely times where Harry Harry has achieved something, mm. and and we go along to support him, and yeah, as you said, it does ebb and flow mm. a little bit. Bring us inside your relationship with your mum for just a sec. I know she has been omnipresent throughout this entire interview thus far because she's played such a huge role in your life, but. I want to know on like a day-to-day basis. Is your mum your best friend? How often do you talk? How do you love spending your time when you hang out? Like what is that relationship like on a day-to-day basis? It's, yeah, she's definitely my best friend. We we just love chatting. We chat all the time, you know, with a cup of tea in the afternoons. When I'd come home from school, I'd always sit down with mum with a cup of tea and just chat about my day or her day and we talk through things and she's definitely the one I go to with my problems or when I need advice. But we also just have great chats, you know, about our dreams and what we want our life to look like in the future. You know, on a Saturday morning, we'd, you know, jump into her bed with a cup of tea and then we'd look up like pictures of Scotland or, or, you know, (laughs) places where we think it'd be great to visit. You know, we plan holidays that we, you know, wouldn't go on, but we just love to plan (laughs) the holiday. And yeah, yeah, I love chatting with her. She's definitely, you know, she still embodies that safe space that I really wanted as a kid. And it's interesting. I was actually talking about it with someone a few days ago. Whenever I have like an English breakfast tea, it always reminds me of the chats that I had with mum. So it's always like a comfort. Yeah. You know, we have a very strong relationship. I read an extract from the book she wrote about the story of you two and she spoke a lot about the fact that so many people blamed her for the position that you were in and I think one thing we haven't touched on today is the idea that this was 10, 15 years ago, like the world wasn't as kind to trans people or the concept of transitioning and I guess there was a bit of disbelief and I wanted to read a quote that she wrote and get your take on it this idea that somehow this was her fault. She wrote, it felt like a really invidious position to be in because I felt like I was damned if I did and damned if I didn't. I felt much happier to be damned if I did support Georgie and that was something I could live with. I could absolutely look at myself in the mirror if I supported her and showed her I loved her no matter what. Even if everybody else thought I was doing the wrong thing, I could live with that much better than the alternative. Have you spoken to her much about that in the years since? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, oh, I just feel so horrible that she that she went through that and 
dropping Harry and I off at school early on, she'd get these really horrible looks from other parents and, and you know, that she was being judged. The school was judging her for supporting me, you know. Our own family was judging her for supporting me. And that's, you know, so horrible. And I still sometimes feel this, but definitely when I was younger, I felt very guilty. I felt like I was, you know putting this on her and, and my family and I felt Did it like, feel like an inconvenience thing? Like I'm inconveniencing everyone? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's something I remember, I think I was 12 or 13 during the court process, I said, I, I'm a burden. I'm a burden on this family and I'm so sorry. And mum said, no, you're not, you're not a burden at all. And she said that I would much rather support you and then get that negativity from other people than not at all. And this is their fault, those people who are judging me for supporting you and saying that I'm a child abuser and everything, it's their fault. They're the one with the issue, with the problem. This is not you at all. And that has stuck with me for a long time. And I just I just love her so much for, you know, choosing me over the world. her image. Yeah, yeah, and the world. It's like a sacrifice in a weird way, but like the most beautiful one that she could have made. Yeah, absolutely. But then as, you know, the the years have passed, she gets all these messages from people, other parents going, you know, reading your book has has taught me that the right decision is to support my kid. And she's got so much love from these other parents and these other mothers. So it really has come full circle. People are now looking at her and what she did and seeing that as, you know, really good parenting. Totally. Well, her bravery has probably served so many other people that she will never even meet or have the pleasure of knowing. Like you guys together as a duo have probably helped so many people feel less alone and more seen. I want to talk to you about how you landed a role on Neighbours because what I read on Wikipedia, which we've already learned before we jumped on the mic that Wikipedia was not the most accurate about you (laughs) or what you're currently doing. According to Wikipedia, Georgie, you reached out to the Neighbours producers and said, you guys need a trans character, put me on your show. (laughs) And within the year, they agreed and they wrote you a character which you helped collaborate with them on. Is that true? And what the fuck? What incredible <laughs> initiative to take can I get on Neighbours? <laughs> that is true. That is one thing on Wikipedia that is true. Well how done, do you, Wikipedia. How do you find the Neighbours producers? Did you know? Did you have a contact? Um, My dad, well, actually both my parents have been on Neighbours before, but my dad was most recently on Neighbours in 2016. So his agent knew the executive producer and had the email of the executive producer of Neighbours. And so I I, I was to- tossing up doing this for a long time, like since I was 16, since watching Dad on the show and looking at the teen group that they had, I was thinking, God, it would be so great to have a trans character in the teen group. I think that would, that would be really amazing. But I was too scared to do it and also I wanted to finish school and then – it was at the beginning of year 12 and the, we were getting like career advice and talking about university and where you want to go. And I'd been telling people that, that I wanted to be a journalist because that was something that I really loved and I was obsessed with Carrie Bickmore. And, um, <laughs> we all are, don't worry. Yeah, I was going to say Hermione Granger and Carrie Bickmore. <laughs> I feel like that's Absolutely. the basic bitch's guide to like yeah. feminism and Absolutely. girl crushes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But then I, was, I just knew that I really 
loved acting. Mm. And so I went to my dad and said, if I write a letter, could you get this to the executive producer of Neighbours? And he said, yes. So I wrote a letter during one of my free periods and just detailing who I was, what I'd done in terms of advocacy, I, that I thought it was a really good idea to have a trans character. These are all the reasons why. Here's a possible storyline that could work and, you know, kind of a character profile. I did all this research about the show and the history. I looked through um, all the characters that had been on the show <laughs> and looking at a name that hadn't been chosen yet because there so were so smart. many people. And I found Emma because I love the name Emma. And then I got my dad to give it to his agent to give it to the executive producer. And then two hours later, I got an email from the executive producer saying, this is a really good idea. Thank you for reaching out to me. Let's set up an audition. And so then a few weeks later, I auditioned in front of the casting director and they gave this like old script from a, a few years prior for me to read. And I did that. And then I didn't hear anything for a few months and then I got an email saying, just hold on, we're waiting for the right time. And then a, another few months went past and then I got an email saying, hey, Georgie, are you still interested in being on Neighbours? Fuck, like, Fuck yes. yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And then about two months after that, I had a meeting with the executive producer about how we could get this character and to neighbours and the writers had come up with their own storyline taking kind of elements from my one and then they changed the name to Mackenzie which I was you know fine about. <laughs> it's like no I'm not coming on your show because I hate the name. <laughs> the name Mackenzie like no it'll be Emma or nothing um, and then about a month after that I met with the writers and we talked through the storyline and things that I liked about it and how we could change it to make it more realistic and that was really amazing and then I got the scripts for it a few months before starting to film just so I could look over it and just edit things that, that didn't feel right or some of the language. So, you know, it more represented what was, I suppose, reflecting my experience and a few kind of concepts that people could learn from like dead naming or bathroom access and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. And then about, so a bit over a year after I, I originally sent the email, I started filming. How exciting is yes. that? Yes. I imagine, um, you know, time in the mainstream is one of the, these things, but I, I'm interested in what other kinds of changes you would like to see in the public discourse around the trans experience or even just the queer experience more generally. Yeah, I think so much of the representation we have is very tragic like looking at trans people and and kind of buying into the stereotypes about them like you know being in prison or or being bullied to the point of suicide and all these really negative things and I don't want that to be the only thing that other trans young people will see I don't want want them to look at that and go oh that's what my life is going to be like I think there is value in positive representation because it it teaches people, you know, firstly how to really how to be mindful around trans people, but more importantly, it shows trans people a future that they could be excited for, and that is, I think, really important. So I'm really happy that 
Mackenzie story on Neighbours whilst showing the hardships and the, you know, the drama that is needed for Neighbours, essentially showing a, a positive character for people to get invested in. Georgie, I know that you are only 19, despite having the maturity of like a 29, 39, 49-year-old. <laughs> but I wonder, I know this is a tricky question and I used to hate getting it myself, but what do you want from your future? Not only career-wise, but like relationships-wise, what is the ideal future for you? Oh, wow. I I really want to – that's a really good question. I – I want to continue the the work that I've been able to do in terms of the trans experience and the trans community. I want to continue being of service to my community and I want to continue bringing the trans perspective into the mainstream. But I also don't want that to be everything I do. I don't want me being trans to define me because it really doesn't in my everyday life. So I want to be able to, you know, have relationships and and partnerships and opportunities that don't revolve around me being trans. I I want to be a mother one day. I I want to leave all of it behind for a second and go traveling and and experience the world and look at the world in a different way than I have been before and challenge myself you know I just want to do everything which is crazy but I yeah I do that was supposed to be my second last question but I've got one more that I'm going to sneak in before Zara comes in with the last one what has the dating experience been like for you so far you're 19 I'm guessing it's very much that time of life where you Mm. begin dating apps or getting out there and meeting people how has it been so far for you what's your experience like look I've I've dated a few people here and there, but I've never really felt connected to someone enough to, you know, fully commit and be in a relationship with. I, you know, at times I thought, you know, is there something wrong with me? Is me being trans going to hinder me in terms of relationships? But I really haven't fully gotten to that that point because I haven't found someone who I really actually want to spend a lot of time with. It might take some time, Georgie. You're 19. (laughs) I definitely had not found a single person at 19. Well, absolutely. And then I think, you know, because a lot of my friends are getting in relationships and they're quite serious and I'm thinking, oh, am I late? Is this this wrong? But the thing is, I don't... It's good to hold off. Well, yeah. And that's the thing. I I realise I don't want to be in a relationship for the sake of being in a relationship. I, I actually really do want to find someone I really love. And so I suppose I'm just like waiting for that. And if I'm not feeling it, I'm really not feeling it. And I'm not afraid to go. I'm Smart sorry, girl. I'm not It's a it. good <laughs> motto, Georgie Stone. The last question we have for you, um, we ask every In Conversation guest, which is what is success to you with all of this in mind? That has changed for me over time. When I was really young, I wanted, I know this sounds really bad but I really wanted to be famous because I thought that that would change how people saw me and I thought finally you know that would be validation but that's definitely not the case now I think success is fulfillment in in some ways so that so that's feeling happy feeling like you have agency over your life over your identity feeling safe and feeling like you have control over your life and that's 
And that can be hard for everyone, for all people, no matter who you are, no matter your gender identity or or sexuality or anything. Having agency over your life is something we all have to kind of learn and develop over time and that can change. But I feel like success is feeling kind of good in your place where you are right now, whatever that is to you. That's something I'm still trying to work out, but I think that's something we're all trying to work out. <laughs> You're 19. <laughs> Georgie Stone, thank you so much for making the time for us today. You have been a friggin' delight. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You have so much wisdom and intelligence and wit and charm and I cannot believe you are not 20 yet. It makes me feel ang- like anxious. I'm almost 26. Given how much we've been learning from you in the last hour and congratulations once more on the Order of Australia. That is an incredible thing. I can't even, there's no even words for it. So congratulations once again. Oh, thank you. Thank you both so much. This has been so much fun. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Georgie Stone. To continue the conversation, please come join our Facebook group. It's called Shameless Podcast Community and it is where our listeners come together. And it's basically one big group chat. Zara will hate me saying that. She hates when I refer to things as a big group chat, but that's kind of what the vibe in there is. She'll also hate me saying vibe like she did in Monday's episode. Please do come in. That Shameless Podcast Community. We would love to see you there. There are 35,000 of you and we are so, so grateful for everyone in that group. As for us, we will be back in your ears on Monday with a regular episode of Shameless. Bye, guys. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.